Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 12, and this is episode number 50. Well, just ahead, Richard Branson did not make it to space this week, and I don't care what you heard, what you saw. We're going to take a look at what really happened and how tough the space tourism business might be, plus a possible cure for hives. And we're going to drill down on FedEx with our guest, RMW Commerce CEO Rick Watson. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And don't miss a single episode of The Drill Down. Click the subscribe button or the follow button, whatever you've got in your favorite podcast platform, that way you can listen to the show at least once a day. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. And I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to tell you the business stories behind Stocks and the Move. Joining me today, he's back, executive producer Isaac Webster. Hope you had a great vacation. Oh, I love the sound Everyone's of excited. Everyone's excited yes. to have you back. Yes. Well, let's get to it. Well, I want to talk about Broadcom first. Broadcom is in talks to buy SAS Institute. This according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says the deal, which would value SAS in the range of 15 to $20 billion, could be finalized in the coming weeks. Broadcom has a market value of nearly $200 billion after its shares have risen around 50% over the past year. Now, as you may be aware, Broadcom is a semiconductor powerhouse built largely through acquisitions. And it has been on the hunt for more deals since former President Trump blocked its quest to buy Qualcomm. Yeah, lots and lots of M&A in, in the company that was once Broadcom is so many uh, semiconductor companies all rolled up into one here. Now, next story we're watching, a little Elon Musk story. We Don't we have to have one in every show, it seems? No, please God, no. <laughs> so in, Del in a Delaware court today, Elon Musk defended Tesla's purchase of SolarCity. Musk telling the judge that he didn't act improperly during the negotiating process. Now, this case dates back to 2016. That's when Musk was chairman of both of, both of the then unprofitable companies. We're talking about SolarCity and Tesla. Still unprofitable companies. Now... Musk's solution to improve their outlook of these companies was combine them in a roughly $2.1 billion tie-up to establish a single clean energy business. The plaintiffs, which include several pension funds that own Tesla stock, have characterized the deal as a scheme to benefit Musk himself and bail out a home solar company on the verge of insolvency. Mr. Musk, of course, was the, was the opening witness called, and the non-jury trial is expected to run about two weeks. Now, a big question, the main question in the case is whether Musk, who owned roughly 22% of Tesla at the time, controlled this whole transaction. Yeah, this one looked, you know, you can see why the suit happened here. You had the largest shareholder 
of this money losing company that was running into to problems buying bought out by another company that he controlled and sticking the shareholders of the other company with this this albatross of a solar company that uh, some people in the solar business think is garbage. Now the next business story that we're following today, L Brands. L Brands board has officially approved the spin-off of its of its Victoria Secret banner into a standalone publicly traded company housing the Victoria Secret lingerie, pink and Victoria Secret Secret beauty brands. Now, with the new company, dubbed Victoria's Secret & Co., separated off, L Brands plans to change its name to Bath & Body Works, Inc., reflecting the banner that will carry the remaining company. L Brands expects the name change and spinoff via a distribution of Victoria's Secret stock to L Brands shareholders, all to become effective August 2nd. So maybe separate valuation because one of those is going to be growing faster than the other. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, something to watch. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I want to take a look at Virgin Galactic. It's a big story over the weekend. Did you see this uh, exciting development oh, yeah. this weekend? How could you miss it? I think you had to be living under a rock if you missed this. But uh, Virgin Galactic trades under SPCE. Shares did drop today, but they've gained 123% in a year. Well, and they dropped a lot. They're down 18% yeah. for the day. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you would have thought, well, you know, they launched the thing, and I did watch it live, and I did wonder if they were going to make it to the ground without, you know— Something catastrophic happening, as has happened, uh, has happened to one of their other ships. Um, their, their flight, their ship, right? Their spaceship, they call it, VSS, the Virgin Spaceship Unity. It completed its flight uh, with billionaire and company founder Richard Branson on board. That makes him the first billionaire and the second oldest person to space. You may recall John Glenn going up at age 77 back in 1988. In any case, VSS Unity, it reached a speed of Mach 3. It got to 53.5 miles above the earth, which is not space. So that's, yeah. this was making me nuts yesterday. I, I, yeah. I don't know what happened to journalism, but you had these people at places, including places where you and I used to work, mm-hmm. excitedly talking about it, getting to space and zero gravity. They didn't get to space. They were bullets. Space is, is defined as 60 miles off the earth. They got to 53. They were short of that. They weren't, and they're not going to be able to get to space. That's not how this spaceship is designed. This, this aircraft is designed. Secondarily, they didn't get to zero gravity. What happened was they, they achieved their weightlessness when the ship was descending and they were going at the same speed as the ship descending. So they could undo their seatbelts and so on and float around. But that wasn't because they were at zero gravity. It was a simulation of zero gravity. So they didn't get to space. They didn't get uh, uh, zero gravity. And it was still really cool. It was still yeah. super cool. Um, I, I watched it with with great joy. Listen to what Richard Branson had to say afterwards when he was addressing a, cl- a crowd at their uh, spaceport center in New Mexico. The mission statement that I wrote inside my spacesuit was to turn the dream of space travel into a reality for my grandchildren who, who are here, for your grandchildren, uh, and for many people who are alive today, for everybody. And having flown to space, I can see even more clearly how... Virgin Galactic is the space line for Earth. We're here to make space more accessible to all, and we want to turn the next generation of dreamers into the astronauts of uh, today and tomorrow. We've all, of us on this stage, have just had the most extraordinary experience, and we'd love it if a number of you can have it too. So, uh, super cool. I mean, I, Richard Branson, one of my favorite people. I know him a little bit. I know his, his kids. I know his family. I, you know, I've spent a lot of time with him over the years. But let's talk about this business. 
So they only have 600 people who have reserved spots for future flights, and they've paid somewhere between $200,000 per person. Now, um, he had promised a major announcement about bringing more people to space following the flight, but there was no news about reopening ticket sales. They stopped ticket sales after they had that catastrophic event, and um, one of their astronauts died, uh, and they, of course, lost a spaceship. Um, then this morning, there was big news that they were going to sell $500 million worth of common stock, uh, uh, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley, leading the, that sale. But the sale of stock, the promotional event leading up to that, the ult the ultimate promotional event, right, um, uh, to sell some more stock. But this thing, you know, are there more than 600 people? When people watched that 90-minute trip that was going to cost them two hundred dollars to $250,000, you know, uh, Sir Richard talked about the hoping that the price could come down if they got a lot of people to do this. I don't know if there are a lot of people to do this. And what if, you know, we had a guest on who was predicting failure of this effort with an expectation that maybe they would have a safety problem. But what if they don't have any safety problems and Elon Musk does or Lockheed Martin does or Blue Origin does with Jeff Bezos? I mean, that's not going to be that's not going to help him sell tickets to go into space um, or not even. Sorry, now I just did it. To go near space. Yeah, that's the thing. If I'm paying this much money, I better be going to space, right? <laughs> and I have to say, I, I'm, I'm right there with you with you know how this has been reported. I didn't realize, and this is shame on me, I think it was until this morning, there was a few headlines, there were a few headlines that said, Branson goes to the edge of space. Right. Oh, and, and when I saw that phrase, I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean by edge of space? And exactly. so I read, into, I read to the article, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, he didn't go to space at all. What the, you know. So listen, I us call it what it is. I saw uh, people, TV producers who have followed Instagram friends congratulating themselves on the coverage of this event. Of course they did. Of course I mean, they did. Really? Listen, like, our, just, you know our industry is full of narcissists. I mean, and you know. God forbid anyone make a mistake. Don't I know it? I'm one of them. Exactly. Hey, you're not so, supposed to agree with that. <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, I want to take a look at Celdex Therapeutics. Celdex Therapeutics trades under S C L D X. Pardon me, C L D X. Shares rose over 23% today, and they've gained 259% in a year. What's the story with Celdex? Well, they announced a, a success of a phase 1B study. Um, and as you mentioned, the stock shot right up with those announcements. Um, it, uh, so I looked at this this morning and thought, well, this is interesting. We'll learn about this new company, this new disease, chronic inductible urticaria. You know what that is? Tives. Oh, and no some idea. people who suffer from hives really suffer. Um, you know, a lot of people can get hives once in a while or they have a, a brief sort of reaction to something that can cause them hives. But there are people out there who have this chronic condition that can really uh, just be awful uh, for them uh, and goes on for years and even decades. Um, and they, it really alters their lives uh, dramatically. Um, and so uh, they announced that they have this phase 1B study and uh, they – tested just 20 patients. They got a single intravenous infusion of this uh, uh, experimental early stage drug, CDX0159. Um, and the results were fantastic. Um, 100% of the patients demonstrated a clinical response to it. Um, 95 of them got a complete response. One of them had got a partial response. Um, it, was just a, it was just a blockbuster success. Now it's very early. 
a very small group, but I thought it was super interesting. They held a call today and the call on the call, they, they, you know, they talked about the drug results and there was kind of some boring med speak, but then there was a, a discussion. I actually had a doctor on who, um, who's, uh, who deals with these patients and oversaw the study. Now, to be clear, he's being paid by the company to do this, but uh, he was, he really kind of talked about what happens to patients who suffer from this disease. It's a severely disturbing disease to have, devastating, long-lasting, um, and uh, with basically impact on every aspect of life, you no know? sleep, interpersonal relationship, performance at work and school, uh, hobbies, traveling, uh, sports. Um, uh, all of these patients have stories to tell where their disease dominated their life, controlled their life, and that makes it all the more important and remarkable um, in terms of what happened to them in this study. Well, these are 20 very happy patients um, who, all of them, responded with uh, a meaningful reduction and you know, virtually all of them with being um, completely free of signs and symptoms, even in the presence of their trigger. And not only you know, is it a long-lasting response, which is very important in a disease that can last 10, 15, 20 years, um, it was also quick. So that was Dr. Marcus Maurer who conducted the study in, uh, in Germany. And it was just uh, a really phenomenal, very early results, but very promising for a drug, that a, a disease a lot of people suffer from. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at a company called Albmarl. Albmarl, ALB shares rose 7% today and they're higher by 123% over the other past 12 months. What's the story here? I just never looked at this company before, so I thought it would just this was kind of a rando day to do it. But this company's in a diversified chemicals business. They've got lots of stuff in their portfolio. But the lithium business is something that they're in, and they're in it in size. And, it, of course, lithium is used to make batteries, and batteries and the idea of electric vehicles with these batteries could be great business for them. Um, this is an old business. It was founded way back in the 19th century. It's a big business. They did $3.2 billion in sales last year, but they've got about a $21 billion market cap. Um, and they've got these sort of three big businesses under their roof. But the biggest one is lithium. It's 37% of their sales. They've got fantastic profit margins. And what they talked about on their most recent conference call was the kind of growth in two types of batteries that are changing. And hopefully, eventually, a state where we might get to solid state batteries with a single piece of, of lithium operating as the battery for vehicles and how that could be a real driver of their business uh, for years to come with this move towards electric vehicles uh, by all of the major automakers. Here is their CEO, Jerry Masters. If we have both the carbonate and the hydroxide molecules, we think we can will play in that. I mean, overall, it's still probably, you know, the growth, is, you know, it's overall electric vehicles that we see, and there's a mix between hydroxide and carbonate. And we have the footprint that we can play in both of those. Uh, so it's, so it is, I mean, it is interesting. And then you've got the technology change as that moves. What's the next key chemistry? Ultimately, the kind of holy grail is the solid state battery. That's, that's a different chemistry, again, so we're trying to make sure we're in a position to satisfy that uh, when it comes. I don't think it's a matter of if it comes, but I think when it, when it comes. So interesting business um, and, you know, an interesting take with this very old company uh, really starting to dominate the lithium business and the stock reacting to it as kind of a secondary play on the move towards electric vehicles. 
All right, well, coming up next, we're going to take a look at FedEx. Lots of changes going on at FedEx. Uh, and a company that's doing really well during COVID and doing really well post-COVID. Our guest, RMW Commerce CEO Rick Watson, helps us drill down. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Era's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. Our guest, RMW Commerce CEO, Rick Watson. Rick, glad to have you back. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Thanks um, a lot, Corey. You, you have brought us a company we all know and love, or maybe don't know and love, FedEx. Um, and it's an interesting company at this moment because one might have thought that in an era of, of massively rising oil costs in an economy that is still um, slower than it had been, or at least uh, not at fully functioning as it had been in 2019, growing unbelievably fast. And after the work from home, order stuff and get it delivered at home that was a benefit to them during COVID, with all of those headwinds, this company would be suffering, but it's not. Yeah, it's they're definitely not. And I think um, if you look at e-commerce, e-commerce is going to is have a tough comp over last year's COVID. And that's really the engine of this growth. And it's still up. And so I think the fact that it's even not flat tells you a heck of a lot about this business. What does it tell you? It, I, I think the big thing is it tells you this is not this is not some flash in the pan that just happened last year. We're going to grow. E-commerce is probably going to grow another 10 to 12 percent this year. Um, FedEx has reported that of all the small parcel market in North America, 88 percent of that growth will come from e-commerce. Wow. Um, and uh, I, I'm so interested in I don't want to get too macro on this. But I am so interested because I want to talk about FedEx specifically. But I am very interested in the ways that our behavior as a society will be permanently changed, or at least for a while changed, from what happened during COVID. And specifically those things around business travel are really unclear right now. Those things about work from home are really unclear right now. And I think the degree to which uh, we go back to stores is unclear right now. Yeah, I think you know, if there was a premium on convenience in the past 15 years that Amazon taught us for about one or two days, that's really just gone into overdrive such that I, you know, there are retailers that I talk to that are now having, they might have a warehouse facility outside of Philly and they're hiring last mile delivery providers that could deliver things to consumers home directly from a warehouse to their home in less than a day because people will pay $30, $50 for the convenience of doing really? so rather than waiting a day or two, even a day or two. $30, So what kind of items are we talking about here? We're talking about like, you know, sporting good items and stuff you might find at a Bass Pro Shop or something right. like that. So is that also just a function of people are just really flush right now and that you have, I was listening to a Wells Fargo call the other day and they were saying that only uh, two thirds of the stimulus got spent and that a third of it's still sitting in people's accounts. And of course they've paid down their credit cards 
paid down debt uh, of all kind generally across the society? Uh, I think, you know, I don't have any special visibility into this, I, but I think it's a fair assumption that human consumer debt is at an all-time low, um, you know, re- at least especially recently. Uh, and so people can afford to prioritize their convenience. You're not trying to save every, you know, every dollar. And, um, you know, they're still using curbside, which means they're willing to go and, you know, go to a store, say like, you know, I want you to put it in my car. Um, right, right. That's just a big spender. Walking, rather than walking to the store, even. It's the baller move, I guess, or you know, <laughs> maybe it's a COVID thing too. You know, we talk about these growth rates too, just to give our, our listeners some context. So in the last four quarters, the year-over-year growth for this company it was for FedEx, 13%, 19%, 23%, 30%. So from, from a negative quarter at the end of, mm-hmm. of the fiscal year 2020 to a 30% quarter at the end of the year of fiscal 21 just shows you that there's a real acceleration of this growth rate that COVID helped and now the, the booming economy. I was listening to somebody else today saying that the economy is now growing, that if, if the, the economic trends of right now, GDP trends continue into next year, we will have seen two years of economic growth in the U.S. that we haven't seen since 65 and 66, which is to say most of us haven't seen it ever. That's that's amazing. Yeah, so th- those stats are mind-blowing in, in terms of their momentum right now. They just reported in the last uh, quarter that their SMB, they're, so they're like small and medium shippers, grew 32% year over year. Um you know, fiscal year over fiscal year. And so it seems like what FedEx is doing is that they were having trouble with their large shippers basically slamming their network with a lot lot of peak capacity. And they just completely jacked up the prices on all these things because there's not many other places these shippers can go to. Meanwhile, they're making healthy margin on all these small and medium shippers that are kind of riding the e-commerce wave. It, it, It is interesting though. Is it a very different customer base for FedEx in terms of sort of um, its primacy at the company? I, I think for sure in the last three to five years, it's a different customer base because if you think about historically FedEx, like like one of my colleagues in the industry used to always say, it's like FedEx was the biggest airline in the world that didn't have any passengers. Uh, and, and so you think about where's Fred Smith? Fred Smith is a former pilot. And where's all the growth Fred in e-commerce? Smith, the founder of the founder of FedEx. Yeah, Fred, right. the founder of FedEx is a former pilot, um, and they they acquired a, a parcel shipping business, a ground business, 30-something years ago. But it's still, it's never been their bread and butter like UPS. Um, and, and, but, you know, aircraft's great. That's, a, that's usually a lousy business. <laughs> and it's a lousy business because it's an, they're very expensive to acquire. You've got to keep them in the air and they're expensive to keep in the air and you've got surging oil prices that we would think there'd be a headwind, uh, no pun intended for this company. Yeah. I, I think the, the air business is likely on the decline, relatively speaking, and ground is on the ascendancy really there. And I think all of their logistics investments are really in last mile, small parcel e-commerce stuff. There's the, and I, I think the U S the interesting thing is like the USPS is feeling this too. Um, you, you, the uh, FedEx has started to, in the last two years, really cut out the, the postal service uh, out of their network, uh, whereas they didn't used to do that. 
Yeah, I'm always shocked when I see the USPS drivers showing up on Sundays and I realize <laughs> they're facing a new competitive threat. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the number I've heard is that fiscal year 2020, they delivered to the home about million two parcels. This past fiscal year, they delivered about 21 million parcels, last wow. mile parcels. So that's 20x growth. That's tremendous by any standards and all of that comes out of the pocket of the the postal service so really specifically when you're looking at that aircraft you're saying that there are 679 aircraft in the air even though their business grows won't grow by buying a lot more planes it's really going to grow by expanding uh, logistics and and uh, trucks and, and and such on the ground yeah i i think so basically the way everything is growing now is getting inventory closer to consumers so that you can get it there faster, which means the consumer is more likely to order uh, online than, you know, doing something else or, or waiting for that purchase. Now, are these guys uniquely positioned against competitors such as you mentioned the post office, but also UPS, DHL, and so on? I, I think UPS... I'm talking U.S. domestically, yeah. Yeah, I think U.S. domestically, I think um, they've always been a, a pretty good technology company. I think Historically, they have not been well positioned against UPS because UPS was really born as a ground company um, where, where they have a somewhat of an advantage of UPS is on labor rates because uh, UPS is heavily unionized. Uh, and so where, where you look at this, I, I would say where they're not especially well positioned is against Amazon that might enter this market in, in a couple of years. Um, but well, Amazon's already in this market, right? Amazon's <laughs> already flying long haul planes of their own. Yeah. They've got some prime delivery. I mean, they. Uh, this reminds me, uh, when I was at Time Incorporated a million years ago, there was a company called Time Incorporated. And at one point, they started their own delivery service for magazines. So if you had Time, Sports, Illustrated, People, wow. Money, Fortune, Life magazine was a thing off and on while I was there. Um, Sports Illustrated for kids, let us not forget. Uh -huh. And then it comes In Style and Sunset. They were going to deliver the, in fact, they were delivering these magazines in certain locations. And they made a big deal out of it. They wanted mm -hmm. to get a lot of press about it because they wanted to go to the post office and say, if you guys don't lower your prices to us, we'll just do it ourselves. And huh. I think Amazon might be doing the same thing. Yeah. And I, I think a, a lot of these guys, look, I mean, there are not a lot of people complaining about the post office rates uh, because the rates are low and they're regulated by government. They can only raise them so much. Uh, what the issue with the post office has really been the service consistency. And right. when the consistency and the tracking is up and down, consumers complain. And when consumers complain, the carriers get the complaints. And so they're like, okay, we got to do something about this. What do we do? We have to take some of this volume in house. Um, so the, the nightmare of the U S post office may be sending more customers to FedEx. And that's another reason why you like this company. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. What are the growth characteristics going forward? I mean, you mentioned 30% growth. I mean, if I grew at 30% by this time next year, I'd be eight feet, four inches tall. <laughs> so that's not likely to happen. What, what right. are the constraints to growth for FedEx? I think, the, I think there are a couple of constraints to growth. Number one is capital. Their, their network has to grow fast enough to meet the, meet the demands of the business. And this is one case that e-commerce is growing quickly and is FedEx network equipped to keep up? Second is the growth of Amazon. If more growth heads into Amazon's, to your point, Amazon is in the market. Uh, if the parcel is being bought by Amazon, you know, on Amazon.com, 
So if someone buys from a competitor to Amazon, then maybe FedEx gets the parcel. But if they're buying from Amazon, maybe the likelihood is less that FedEx could get the parcel. So I think Amazon is a is a is a constraint to you know to their growth as well. Interesting. So success at Amazon writ large, greater success at Amazon is kind of worse news for FedEx because it'll get sent around more places. Which is to, so it sounds like what you're saying is other retailers rely on FedEx as a percentage of what's shipped more than they rely on other carriers. I definitely in terms of FedEx revenue profile, because FedEx basically famously about a year and a half ago divorced themselves of all almost all Amazon revenue. So such that if a parcel enters the Amazon network, out coming out the other end, it's not gonna ship FedEx. It could ship ship UPS or, or USPS. Um, and so there's a possibility there. But it also might Amazon might carry it themselves too. So it's not it's not a guarantee that UPS is gonna get that business. Interesting. So does, is that a, I mean, not to get too Wall Street, Andrew, is that a pair trade? Is there some <laughs> percentage of Amazon growth that's bad news for FedEx? Um, look, uh, Amazon growth, depending on if you're Lena Khan or, or depending who you talk to, Amazon growth could be bad news for a lot of people. But um, I think um, at the end of the day, consumers keep going back there and Amazon has control over where that parcel goes. And they can send it wherever they want. And FedEx has already said, we don't want your business because um, you're, you're the competition. You know? Interesting, interesting. This is going to be one to watch. Uh, Rick, appreciate your time. Rick Watson is the CEO of RMW Commerce. Um, well, this is, it's useful to look at this company that we all interact with so much uh, with a different lens. We appreciate it. Well, up next on the drill down, the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. FedEx drives a lot of trucks, flies a lot of planes, we've been discussing. And the company's made a big commitment to more environmentally friendly practices going forward, including a commitment to having 30% of its jet fuel coming from alternative fuel by the year 2030. But I don't care about that. I don't even know if I believe that. But for now, here's that bite. How many of FedEx trucks are powered with alternative fuel? We'll have that number after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you can uh, listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, but let some other people know about it. Share the good news. Maybe even leave a review and let the rest of the world know what you find in The Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. All right, for now, and here's that bite. How many FedEx trucks are powered by alternative fuel? The answer, according to FedEx annual report, is 4,000. 4,000, there's 79,000 vehicles, including approximately 11,000 owned by uh, uh, TNT Express, which they uh, owner operated fleet they work with. But 4,000 of the 79,000 already powered by alternative fuels in their global network. I never believe any numbers that end with lots of zeros, so I'm sure it's not exactly 4,000, but that's what they tell us it is in any case. All right, we're going to leave. Thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.